you know, fellowship with the body is a beautiful thing, but division in the body is a grievous thing. Many, many years ago, and probably the first, what I'd say, true spiritual awakening that I had the privilege of being a part of, it occurred uh, in, a, in a Baptist camp where five uh, different uh, associations came together and had this large youth camp. The person that invited me was the pastor that was the head of that association, and he was called to another church and thus was left, uh, uh, the position was left vacant, but it happened at a point where there was only a few weeks left. The new guy came in, and he wasn't too sure about me, and in fact, he told me that I was not his preference, and he really wished I wasn't coming. <laughs> so I promptly told him, hey, no hard feelings, and if you don't want me, I'll be glad to stay home. You can find whoever you want. Oh, no, he said, we've already announced that everybody's expecting you. Some people want you. I'm stuck with you. Basically, that's how he put it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not being, uh, no, he actually was saying stuff like that to me. But it gets uh, better, or in, in the vernacular of the world, it gets worse. <laughs> I got to a location of the retreat center, and I immediately searched him out because my objective always is to meet with the leadership and have prayer with all those before each ser uh, session or service or whatever. Well, uh, he said, well, I don't know. I'm sure we'll get together, but uh, he said, I don't know when. Well, not only did he not know, but he decided to not tell me when he did know. So I never was invited to any of their meetings, any planning sessions, any anything. So it came that evening, and everybody did their stuff, and they were singing and all like what you were doing. And then all of a sudden, it got quiet, and nobody introduced me, <laughs> and, and nobody told me when I was on, and all of a sudden, it was my time. So I got up, and I shared, and I was doing some teaching back then. It was a, a series called This is Living, and I was going through about who we are in Christ. And uh, that went on pretty good, and, and then... Uh, a couple of sessions in, and they decided I didn't know how to give an invitation because their star person that always walked the aisle never came down, and so therefore they took that job away from me, which I was glad to have because I didn't think they were ready for an invitation anyhow. You know, sometimes we give invitations prematurely <laughs> when God's not inviting. You know, not that he isn't always inviting somebody somewhere, but uh, not in this mass sort of way. So uh, then they came to me and said, well, we've got this one group, and uh, and, and they're... they're their dress and their attire and this and that. And so you, you had the, the, those who were legalistic and those who were liberal, and they were taking sides, and they wanted me to, to deal with that. And, I, you know, and so then they got upset when I wouldn't address that their way. And, and then they had uh, older teenagers there that were causing problems. And they had gotten word that these kids were doing some drugs on the side and that they were sneaking around and looking in the girls' dorms and all that. And so now they came to me. They said, okay, you're, you're the camp evangelist. That's what they call me. <laughs> and so, so it's your job to fix this problem. So you have to go take care of them. So, so I said, well, okay, if they give it to me, you know, you take it and God will provide. So I went and I told them, I said, hey, look, you know, what you're doing is clearly wrong, but that, that's up to you. I said, I'm not here to tell you what to do or not to do. I'm just here to tell you you're missing out because I've come here to give you something and share with you something and, and to be available to you to help you in a way that's going to make a difference in your life long term. I said, if you'll just take time and hear me out, I'll guarantee you, you'll be glad you did, and your life will never be the same, because I know what the Lord did in me. I know what He can do in you. So now we're talking about fellowship here. So, so I have no fellowship. I've got all these people and, and no fellowship. Fortunately, that one pastor that invited me, uh, that recommended me, rather, was there, and he was encouraging me, and there was one other person there that I knew. <laughs> and so they were my sounding board. But now, and so now I've got these, these 
two ruffians that are about 19 years old. And so, you know, they came at lunch. I was sitting by myself at a table when everybody else had people sitting around them. And I'm sitting by myself. Just I was the persona non grata, is that how they say it? So, <laughs> and, and then these two guys, the, the rejects, they came and sat with me. And they said, hey, you know, I kind of felt like David. You know, when David was kicked out by Saul and he was running around and then all the bad guys rattled around him and turned out they weren't all that bad after all. They just needed a leader. And so, so these two guys came and they sat down and they said, you know, we like the way you treated us as equals and you respected us. We like that you didn't try to cram something down our throat. Can we sit with you? We want to talk. And that night, after I shared, the Spirit of God came on them in such a way they just began to weep uncontrollably. It was a moving time. And they were standing outside. This is like they had already got up to leave. And my close pastor friend who had recommended me was there and he saw them. And so he started talking to them and he said, you know, he says, I think you need to talk to Lewis. And so I took him around the back and we began to talk. And the first one, God was really dealing with him and he said, you know, I've grown up in church, but I don't know the Lord, and I need the Lord. And so I, I let him, but, I, but before that, I asked the other guy, I said, what about you? And he says, you know, I'm not ready for all this religious stuff. I don't know, I can't deal with it. So I began to lead his friend to the Lord. And as the presence of God came on his friend, it was so strong. And then his friend's life was so evidently transformed right there before his eyes, and suddenly saw a different attitude just exuding out of his friend. And he just, he began to weep too, and he said, yeah, now I know what's wrong with me on the inside. He said, I, I, I went down when everybody else did one time and I prayed a prayer like everybody else and I've been really bummed out with God because it didn't work. And he said, now I see it's all because I never met Jesus. Mm. And so I led him to the Lord. And then they immediately, and this is what fellowship does when you're really in union, even though you don't know it, and, and you remember back in your early day when you first met the Lord, how there was something just radically different about you and, and, and you just, without even having to be told, things just happened spontaneously. That was the Lord in you, the spirit of life. And so these guys looked at each other and they said, wow, we have not done right by our girlfriends. We've got to go find them right now. We've got to apologize to them. We've got to repent of our sin. We've got to deal with this problem. And then as we were walking along together, they said, and don't forget our two friends. We have led them astray. Let's go find them. They went and found those, and they all had revival. And then, now we're in the skit time and the fun time, and they walked up on stage in the middle of all the hoopla, and the leader turned around, and this, this particular pastor, the MC, was discerning enough to realize God was doing something, and he stopped and said, you know, this is not part of the program, but I can tell by looking at them, we need to let them speak. And as they began to talk, an invitation was spontaneously given by the Holy Spirit, and over 200 young people just rushed to the front and fell on their faces and wept before God. And there were so many that the, the pastors didn't even know what to do with them. So I took those six that had just been transformed by the glory of God and I said, now you just tell your friends what God showed you and He'll do in them what He's done in you. And that revival went on till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. The vice president of the bank who had come to me and told me that I needed to just drop out and leave. He came and apologized in tears and said, you know, I've had a bad attitude. And uh, he said, I'm sorry. And that star person that always ran down the aisle 
Well, the reason was he had never been born again. They thought he was rededicating his life all those three years. He had never met Jesus as Lord. And then he, said, then he admitted, he said, you know, he says, furthermore, and he was their great musician. He said, I sold my soul to the devil. I told him, if you, if you will let me play music like all these other rock stars, I'll do what you want. And he said, all this time I've been serving the devil in the name of God. And then he began to cry. The next day, as, as the kids got up, they spontaneously had their prayer walks. Nobody scheduled them. They went out in groups and prayed. They huddled up with their Bibles. They began to pray for their friends. They would come to me and say, hey, Jimmy still hadn't met Jesus yet. Or Jimmy, he's been a Christian, but he needs to get right with God. And he's so stubborn. He says, pray with us for Jimmy. And I said, let's believe God and receive him right now. And then they got to the swimming pool. And instead of talking about stuff in the pool, they were talking about what the Lord was doing in their lives. And one of them said, and guess what? Jimmy got right with God. And they were all so excited. And then it went back to their churches and it spread. And that's Koinea. That's the real fellowship. When the body of Christ comes alive in Christ and when His presence begins to permeate the body and they begin to awaken to Him and suddenly they're not looking at their petty differences, some of which may be big on, on, on the surface in our mind's eye, you know, but they're not big in God's eye. And we, we have so often, even as Christians, we've tried to find our common bond in a, in a denomination, in a doctrine, in a, a preference of praise music, or we, we find these different things that are, and they're good, and we're comfortable with that, and that's okay. But that's not the basis of it. And let's go back to our, our little board. Communion is based on union with Christ. And when I see myself connected with Him, and rightly related to Him in oneness with Him, then there flows out of that a communion with Him, out of my union, comes a communion with Him and with one another. It's a spontaneous interaction. You know, I, I just go around the world and I'll see people and I'll just start talking to them on the airplane or in, or in the uh, airports or different places or whatever. And most of the time, most of them, I don't even know much of the language. But they'll pick up here and there and all of a sudden, if they're a believer, there'll be a kinship that just clicks and we begin to just open up in the Lord. And this is God's way. So I want to talk about fellowship as uh, being one with another. And as I said, this is going to be more of a teaching. It's like an outline. And uh, what God showed me to do really was to give you some of the things that I share when I go on the mission field to leaders, but I've adapted it significantly uh, for this gathering. So the first one I want to talk about is, uh, is the basis of unity in ministry. And I want to call your attention, first of all, to Psalm 133, verse 1, and then uh, the latter part of verse 3. In Psalm 133, the psalmist, presumably David, says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. To dwell together in unity is a picture of true fellowship. Uh, fellowship is more than just sharing the life of Christ in common. It's the interacting with Him, with one another, in a way that we really enjoy one another's company. We might not enjoy our personal preferences or taste, but we enjoy each other's company. There's an interaction there that we thrive on, that, that nourishes in, uh, us and allows us to flourish. And, and he's saying, this is a good thing, and it's pleasant. It, it's pleasing to God, and it's pleasing to you. And, and all we have to do is, is we begin to dwell. To, to, we live together. We we commune together in the sense of interacting with one another and, and really sharing our heart with one another and, 
and bearing one another's burdens. You can't bear a burden if you don't share a burden. And so you, you share your burdens, and you can do so because you're walking in the light. We didn't get there, and we won't have time to go there, but, but the fellowship comes out of walking in the light. There's a genuine transparency in which you're not trying to be artificial, either for deceptive reasons, that is, you don't want people to know what you're like, <laughs> you know, your flaws, or, or through uh, your own being deceived into thinking, this is what I'm supposed to do as a good Christian, I have to put on my Jesus face. You know, I've been to so many churches, and they say, oh, come on, you can do better than that, like... Like get, get a little louder and, 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 and where's that smile, you know? We've got we to force all this stuff. And, and there's hurting people out there. And they come to you for counseling and, and they're hurting, but they've learned how to, to, to present themselves in a respectable sort of manner, socially acceptable uh, manner. And, and you've got to get deep down be, below that. And the way you do that, I, I just get real with people. When they come to me for counseling, I just start telling them the stuff I'm going through. If I'm going through the fire today, I'll tell them about the fire. If I'm going through... The, through, through the, the clouds of glory, I tell them about that. You know, it's like this is what's going on in my life. And, and we talk about the realities of, of, of what's going on, that nobody lives in an ivory tower. And we all have to walk through the fires. And, and, uh, and yet there is grace sufficient in the moment. And so we dwell together in that unity. But he adds there the latter part of verse 3, for there in that place of abiding unity, the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Yes, we have life in Christ. Yes, we are all blessed in Christ. But if we want to experience the body life of the Christ in you, ministering to the Christ in me, and of his life being free to be fully expressed one to another in the uniqueness of our own personalities and our own gifts and talents and abilities and our own experiences of life, then he says, dwelling together in unity, the Lord has commanded a blessing. He's saying there he says his blessings will flow freely in and through you as you come together in unity and harmony. But you know, when we gather in a group, even though we have things in common, if we're not really open and commonly sharing out of the fullness of our life in Christ, then what we do instead is we quench the Spirit rather than release the flow of His Spirit we, we are actually blocking and, and hindering uh, his very life. So what I say in summary is that you must see yourselves as one in the Lord, one with him and one with one another. So we, 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 we see all of our uniquenesses and differences. That's okay. That's by design. But also by design is to see through that. See, like Paul said, we're not judging any man after the flesh anymore. We're not assessing anyone based on their externals. We're seeing through to their true self, their true identity, their true personhood, and we're tapping into that gold mine of life in Christ within them so that we're going to draw his life one from another. I, I, I tell people, and quite honestly, Lou, my wife, is Jesus to me. I, I see Jesus in her. I experience Jesus through her. Even, even when she stumbles and fumbles, Jesus still comes just sneak it out, you know, somehow. He's always there. And, and there's a presence. See, we're talking about a presence. And, and when you walk in the consciousness of a union in Christ, you're walking in the fullness of His life. And His presence is manifest. His presence is made known. His presence is evident. There's just a, a, an element that is there by His Spirit. And it comes out in whatever way it's needed as He deems best. So, 
that, that's where we start. See yourself as one with one another in the Lord. Um, Galatians 3.28. You know, he talks there about how that uh, he has made all of us one. There's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's, he, that, that none of these surface things are relevant anymore. They're not a factor anymore. Galatians 3.28. He says, we've all come together and we're now one in Christ. And so he says, thank God for your distinctives and your differences and your uniquenesses. Okay, but don't dwell on that because that's not makes you who you are. I'm counseling with a situation now that I can't begin to go into because it is so so delicate and so personal and, and beyond confidential. It's If it was ever heard, somebody would be able to figure out who I'm talking about. But it's but this particular person is struggling and everybody has tried to fix this person by fixing the externals of her life. And it's really about her identity in Christ. And, and we talk about that here. We know about that here. But so often people come to us with their so-called presenting problems and they're very real and they're very intense. But those are not their problems. And, and so we've got to help them get behind that to see that it's not about these external issues, as big as those are, but let's fix the internal problem and let's get focused on your inner self and let's get settled about yourself within yourself and then you'll be free to be yourself. That's the beauty of it all. Freedom comes from within, in Christ and because of Him. Well, another one that I think is important here on the basis of unity is that you must be in agreement with your co-workers here, with, with the body of Christ certainly, but more importantly with you as a group, as co-workers, as, as co-laborers, Paul calls us. Amos 3.3 3 poses a question. How can two walk together unless they what? Unless they agree. Are, are, are we in agreement? What does it mean to be in agreement? It doesn't mean that we always see the same things the same way, doctrinally or politically or whatever it might be, but are we truly in agreement? Are we letting those surface things be a barrier and a hindrance, or are we still going to be in agreement because our common bond is Christ in us, and the life of His Spirit is what makes the determinant in terms of where we go and what we do. It's not a matter of what I think or what, I, or what you think. It's not a matter of what I want or what you want. It's what does He want. And to be in agreement means to rally around Him and who He is and what He says and what He wants. And so if, if we're going to really function in unity as, in the body in this matter of fellowship, it must be in agreement. And that leads us to something quite similar which took place in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. It said they had been waiting around, and, and Acts 1.14 says how they were all together in one accord. And then in Acts 2 and 1, it says, and so when the day of Pentecost was fully come, it says there they were, what? Together in one accord. So you, you must be in one accord with your co-workers. You must be together. There must be a, a cohesiveness, a, a coming together, and there must be a one accord. Now, I, I love how, how it says... Uh, as Jesus explained, when he first got his first 12, and he picked the 12, and he brought them together, his first 12, the apostles, and he said, first thing in Mark chapter, what, 3 or 4, he says that, that first of all, that they would be with him. That they would be with him. It wasn't about doing anything. It was just about being with him. You see, so we're, we're in union with him. We're in communion with him and with one another. You see, they were all unified. They all were together, rallied around him, and thus 
It wasn't anymore about what they wanted, although they had their moments when they had their sidebar conversations. But it was really about moving with Him. Wherever He moved, they moved. As He went, they went. Whatever He said, they did. There was no discussion or debate. They, they, there was an allegiance and a loyalty, a commitment and a trust and a, and a co-sharing. Even, And it always amazes me, even Jesus Himself handpicked the one who would betray Him because He was, he was in it and among them, but not really of them. And yet Jesus was not afraid of him, threatened by him, or intimidated by him. Jesus picked him. And Jesus knew he was stealing from the, from the money bags. But Jesus wasn't panicking about how we're going to pay the bills. You know? but, but here was a guy among them, and even, even he, they were able to go forward, and Jesus was able to share and invest in his life. I mean, who, who got to take the first Lord's Supper? Judas. Wasn't even a believer. The traitor. The one who betrayed our Lord. And here he is taking the cup with the rest of them. Wow. I mean, Jesus is just not threatened by our flawed flesh. <laughs> Believe me. It doesn't shake him up at all. He's bigger than all of that. One accord. Uh, and, and so we, we must function in unity and in harmony one with another. Someone read part of this in the Ephesians 4 passage, but um, Ephesians 4 and, and verse 3, he talks about the importance there of, of, of being, uh, of, uh, in, in working together, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And what he's referring to there is the importance of functioning in unity and in harmony. Now, notice he doesn't say we've, we've got to be in unity. He says we keep the unity. Of the Spirit. See, that's our, our union. It's already there. We're one in the Spirit. Let's just preserve what we've got. Don't lose sight of what we have. Don't lose sight of what we are. We are one in the body of Christ. We are one body and we are united in Christ. So let's don't focus on the things that are of, of a divisive element. If there are problems among us, for sure, let's get reconciled. Let's resolve it. Let's talk it through. Transparency. Walk in the light. But by all means, preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Real peace. Not, not just this grin and bear it kind of stuff, but the real peace that passes understanding, the kind of peace that you can feel the vibes. You know, you've been around people in groups and you can feel the vibes and they're not good vibes. They're, they're like, whoa, something's going awry between me and that other person. Or there's something about that person that's just bringing some negative stuff here. And you sense that. And so he says, let's endeavor. endeavor. Let, let's throw ourselves into this wholeheartedly. Let's be those peacemakers. Those that would preserve the unity. And that involves going to someone. Going to someone. I've had to go to people and, and share some hard stuff. I had to with a guy just uh, this past week, a, a man that's a, a missionary. And I didn't really even know I was... <laughs> and then the next day he called back and said, Well, uh, you were really rebuking me and correcting me and stuff. And, and he said, I didn't like it, but I, I got off the phone. I, I re reconsidered what you said. And, and he said, I want to thank you because I needed that. And I said, well, I was just trying to clarify truth. I, you, you had some scriptures and you were saying this stuff and I, I, I just knew it was not of God and it wasn't accurate in the Word of God. And I was just sharing scripture. And he said, well, you just kept on with those scriptures. And he said, finally, it got to me. <laughs> so what do we know? But we just share what's in our heart and, and, and we share it openly and honestly. But we speak the truth in love, yes, for sure. We're not here to condemn somebody. We're not here to find fault. We're here to pick each other up. And stand as one together. We, you know, I heard one of you saying about your shirts. I got your back. Yeah, we do. And we have our front. 
and our up and our down, our in and out. We, we have one another wholeheartedly, totally. We're in this together. And whether we like it or not, or know it or not, it's a reality. And so, hey, let's enjoy it and make the most of it. Um, but there are prerequisites to this unity, and I know you know these. Um, well, okay, prerequisites to unity. And, and the, these would be the same thing about being in unity with the Lord and with one another. First of all, and these are most basic, but we sometimes lose sight of the basics. So, first of all, we must be yielded to Christ. Romans 6.13 we, we, you, you present yourself. You present yourself and your members. Now, we're good about giving God this problem or this need or this area or this whatever, but it's present yourself. Have I really, truly, fully given myself to the Lord? All I am and have, Lord, it's yours. Take me. Make me what you want me to be. And 2 Corinthians 8.5, he says, They first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. You see, we're trained sometimes to give ourselves one to another in areas of ministry or even in duty or responsibility. We know it's our job, let's say. We know it's what we're here for. It's what we signed up for. But sometimes we struggle with that. Well, let's go back. Have I really fully given myself to the Lord? Or if I have, have I lost sight of that? You're not your own. You bought with a price. Your body's His temple. Yet too many people still wanting what they want. You know, this business about choice, it's, it's not your choice. The moment you said, I do to Jesus and, and acknowledged Him as Lord, Lordship means the one who's in control. The Lord is the one in control. If His Holy Spirit's in control of you, you have no choices here. Your choice is, I chose Him. And my choices are what He wants is what I want. That's why Jesus said, I, I didn't come to do my own thing. I have come to do your will, O God. A body you have prepared. And I'm it. And have your way in me. And yeah, I don't like the cup. The, the cup of, of death. Who, who wants to go through that? It was bad enough that he went through a lifetime of rejection now to go through pain and suffering and then the worst of it, to be rejected of his father. This is bad news, my friends, in anybody's book. But Jesus says, but I'll take it because it's my father's will. And father knows best. So I'm going to trust him with this and go with it. So that's yielded to Christ. It's not about who's going to be the boss. It's about who's going to submit to King Jesus and sovereignty of God and the Lordship of Christ. But that leads to a similar line of thought, and that is to be controlled by the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, we know, says, be filled or controlled with the Spirit. Well, we're going to see why this is important in a minute, because only under His control can we truly be in control. Control is important. It's just a matter of on what basis am I in control. If I try to be in control by looking at things and saying, well, I've got to manage this and micromanage that, then, then we're always scurrying about and we're always restless and, and, and stressed and whatever. But if, if we just rest in His control of us, He'll enable us to exercise control over that which is our God-given responsibility on the earth, whether it be in a job or a ministry in counseling or in your family or with your children. He'll cause you to exercise responsible authority and leadership and guidance and, and control. So under His control, you're in control. Any other way, you're out of control no matter what you think or feel. And then that would bring us to being submitted to His Lordship. Submitted to the Lord. Romans 12.1 We present our bodies and, and so we present ourselves to Him. And so if I'm truly presented to Him, then un, under, under His Lordship and under His control, there's now a joint ownership that comes. See, because He owns me, but He owns it all. And now... 
He's given it to me to be a good steward of his assets, of his resources, of his stuff. Genesis 1.26, he told Adam and Eve, hey, it's all here for you. You know, God created planet Earth with you in mind. It was built for us, not for him. He didn't need some show place, party place. He didn't need that. But he built it because he was putting us here. And he made sure that we had everything we needed. So, it, And then Paul told Peter, for us to freely enjoy. He says, hey, I want you to enjoy it. And it's free. Just make the most of it, but do right by it. Be good stewards of it. And so he was putting them in a place of authority so that we might reign in life by one, Christ Jesus. Reigning means to exercise responsible authority over things. Not to dominate and dictate, but, but to care for and to preserve and protect one another in the body of Christ. And God's resources are well. But, you know, here's the thing. As I look at all that and in my own life, and then Jesus makes this other interesting statement, Matthew uh, 25, 40, he says, but as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. You see, our stewardship is over one another. And one day it registered with me, and, and, and this, but I had to come to it through this, through this progression I've talked to you about here. I had to be uh, yielded to him and under his control and submitted to his lordship and, and presented to him uh, so that he could rule over me. And then I saw it. Then I saw it. Under the least of these, as unto me. So Lord, you're saying the way I treat others is the way I'm treating you. And that's an eye-opener. Just think about it. So what you're saying and the way you're treating others, the way you talk to them, either at their face or behind their back, you're talking to your Lord as you've done it unto me. He says, you're doing it unto me. They may, may be the least in your eyes, but it's doing it unto me. You see, we are one. And so the Christ and someone else, they might be stumbling because they don't fully know who they are or they've lost sight of it. Maybe something hit them, blindsided them that was so hard it knocked them for a loop. Let's don't just come down on them for that fault or failure. Let's be there to help them and pick them up. I, I remember years ago, our daughter was, was telling us about a situation in her school. And she said, you know, Dad, there's these, this boy and girl, and, and they, just keep, they just keep making mistakes, or they mess things up, and they're, 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 they don't wear nice clothes, and they're dirty, and they stink. And she said, nobody likes them. But she said, I keep trying to be their friend, and, and, and then the people don't like me. But she said, I, I just feel so bad. And she said, the other day, the little boy, he was sick. And, and he got sick in the, and, he, and he threw up and the teachers and the kids just started yelling and the kids were laughing and making fun of him and the teachers were getting mad at him. And she said, Dad, what can we do about this? And so anyway, I checked into it and, and the principal investigated, you know what? The reason all of that? They were living out of an old abandoned school bus and they were very poor and nobody had bothered to see what their circumstances were and why they came to school dirty and didn't smell nice and why they were having problems and, and they were sick because they weren't eating right. And, and they, were, they, were, they were acting crazy because nobody ever taught me any better. And here my daughter was just trying to reach out to somebody and everybody came down on her. You, you might be the scapegoat in some stuff. Take it. Take it. Somebody's got to be willing to take it. You know, feeling good isn't what life's all about. Glorifying God means letting Him have His way with you, and that might mean that death works in you so life can come to someone else. It, it might require some pain and suffering in you so somebody else can be relieved of their real hurting, which is on the inside, where they're void of life. 
in Christ. Now, let me conclude this section. Living in unity is about godly leadership. And so you here are the leaders in, in, in your group. So you, as we all know, we lead by example. I mean, we're exhorted to be an example to the believers. But let's consider the example of our Lord Jesus. And I'm not talking here about imitating him, but I'm talking about something entirely different. But I want you to look at his life in just a couple of ways here real quick. The example of Jesus, first of all, is the servant king. Let's think about it. We know that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. Well, that means that we're the kings and we're the lords however you want to put it. We're in those places of authority, but he's king over us. But he's the king. Now we know that. And yet when he came, look, look what he said. Luke uh, 22, verse 25. Let's, let's examine that for a moment. King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet how did Jesus conduct himself as the king? Now here he comes. Is there pomp and circumstance with him? Well, riding a donkey might be considered so because there was a crowd and they did wave some old palm branches. Nothing like a red carpet, though, by any means. But Luke 22, verse 25, And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Now, verse 26, this is the clincher. But you shall not be so. He says, be done with that humanistic thinking. That may be good for the world and their way of doing business, but it's not God nor His way of doing business because God's ways are not like the world's ways and He's come with a new and a better way. In fact, it's a living way and that way is Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. But it shall not be so, not with you. But He that is greatest among you, let Him be as the younger. The, the, the younger was... The person that didn't have any say anything. They, they were considered kind of, you know, the runt. You don't have anything to do. You don't have anything to say. You, you just don't have a voice in anything. And he that is chief is he that does serve. And then verse 27, this last phrase, Jesus says, But I am among you as he that serves. But I am among you as he that serves. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. He said, I didn't come here. So I could just let all of you uh, do all stuff for me. I didn't come here so I could accumulate the things of this world, the pleasures of this world, the possessions of this world. He says, this stuff means nothing to me. I've got so much better than that. He said, I came here to show you how much more I have available to you, but I came here to serve you. That's why he did the, the foot washing. He was saying, look, I'm here to meet your most minimal need. I'm here to address you at the point of your hurt and pain. I'm here to attend to you in whatever way you have need of. Jesus came with that servant heart. And he was there as one to serve. So the first example of Jesus is about being a servant king. So our privilege is to do in the same way. Um, and the relationship between co-workers must be one of mutual submission, which is where now we go, have to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, we go to verse 21, where he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the reverent fear of Lord, or fear of God. So we're, we're going to present ourselves one to another, we're going to give ourselves one to another, we're going to share ourselves one with another. 
This me, my, and mine mentality of a selfish self-preservation is out. We, we walk through this world with an other-centeredness now. We're no longer caught up about ourselves. We're settled within ourselves about ourselves because we're complete in Christ. We're the best that we can be. We don't have to get anything more, fix anything more. We've got a lot to give now. And, and, and we can be poured out as a thank offering daily unto Him as we invest our lives in others, as we go. You know, Scripture says, as you go, preach. We think standing up here is preaching. This is just a small part of it. To preach means to proclaim. And He's talking about as you go, pour out your life to others. As you go, give yourselves away to others. Uh, one time years ago, when I was a counselor at First Atlanta, I was discipling a man who had been one of my counselees, and I, I was at that time a, a speaker once a month at the uh, Bell South Business uh, Bible Study Luncheon. And so I went over there, with, and this man went, and, and I spoke, and on the way back, some four or five blocks we walked, and we turned the corner, and we heard this loud explosion. Uh, and I looked down the road, and there was this car with the, the hood was raised, and there was a woman on the on the road on the side of the pavement and another woman standing there screaming and the woman on, on down there was also holding her hands over her face and screaming and what had happened as we approached was that the she was trying to do something to get to start and with a screwdriver and she touched the, the battery and, the, and it blew up and the battery acid blew right in her eyes and she was blinded and in severe pain and as we move in the Lord, we just simply do as we see our Father do, and we say what we hear our Father say. And I just saw immediately in my hand reaching out and touching her on the head and just praying. And so I reached out and touched her, and peace in Jesus' name, be healed. I command that acid in your eyes to be neutralized. And then I just pulled back, and suddenly the woman stopped screaming and crying. She pulled back her hands, and she looked up and she said, Jesus has set you here for me. Jesus brought you to me. You see, you are the hands and feet of Jesus. We don't know how He wants to express Himself. We just walk in total availability to Him with an openness to Him. But if we're focused on our own problems and needs, if we're going along mumbling and grumbling and complaining about what we don't have or what we didn't get or what somebody else did or said to us, we're going to miss Him and what He's doing around us. And because of that, we're going to miss out on the privilege of being a channel of blessing. You know, God told Abraham, I'm here to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Genesis 12, 2. Blessed to be blessed. Blessed so you can be a blessing. A channel of blessing. Sure, we get to get in on it, but not so we can hoard it, but so we can be dispensers of His glorious life and share it and invest it in others. That's the best investment we'll ever make. Living in unity... The example of Jesus, the servant king. And the, the other one about Jesus I want us to look at is the supreme ruler. Yes, he's servant king, but he's a supreme ruler. But how did Jesus conduct himself as the supreme ruler? In John uh, 15, uh, 12 and 13. Let's look at that a moment. John 15 is a great chapter about fellowship. It's about abiding. It's about um, uh, living in his life as your life. Abiding in him and him in you. But as we go down here to verse 12, this is my commandment, 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Understand about commandments. Commandments, when I get a command from the Lord, it's not like I've got to somehow conjure up the strength and ability to follow through. This means the Christ in me is going to enable me to do whatever the command says. And, and He in me is what? He's love. So I'm full of His love if I let Him fill me. And therefore I'm free to do what? To love. I mean, that's all I can do if I'm full of Him because that's all He does. So if I'm walking in union and communion with Him, then out of me just is a river of life flowing, yes, but a river of love because His love is His life. So if you love me, you keep my commandments, He says, so this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did He love us? Unconditionally. While we were unlovely, while we were yet sinners, He died for us. So he's saying, hey, of course the people around you may not always be doing the right things, saying the right things, acting the right way, but, but what about you? There wasn't anything greater glorious about you when I, when I died for you, nor was there anything worthy of you when I came to you and gave my life to you. And, 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 you know, and, and a lot of times, hey, remember, where you go, he goes. And so a lot of times we're saying and doing a bunch of stuff that's just plain uh, repulsive. Well, he's in us. We're dragging him right through the muck. But he doesn't just bail out on us. He stays right there. He abides faithful. He will not deny us. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. Doesn't mean he doesn't, he doesn't uh, you know, he, he, he certainly is not liking it necessarily, but he loves us. It's not about what he likes, it's about what he loves. He loves us. And he's, and he's one with us. And so, that's an inseparable bond. But verse 13, Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, we're in the body of Christ. We're friends. We're family. We're, we have a connectedness. And so, he says, the, the greatest expression of love is we just, we lay down our lives. We, we give of ourselves for others. Times when it's inconvenient. I mean, I, when we were first married, we had uh, a little bitty house and, our, uh, and, and, and uh, there wasn't much room and, and, and this couple came that I actually ministered to them and and led the man of the Lord, and they needed a place to stay. And so they moved in for seven months, and they, they really took advantage of us. And it's easier to get somebody in than it is to get out. I'm, I'm sure you've all figured that out by now. But anyway, but while they were there, they messed up our house, you know. They used up our food and, and whatever, and they didn't work. They didn't do much. I kept getting them to do little odd jobs. And, I, you know, I helped them along, and they eventually progressed. But in that year, our income was $3,900. And we had to carry them as well. But some way, somehow, and only by the goodness of God, we got through that year. And it, and it resulted in alienating family members because this person had been married to a relative and they turned on us and they turned against my mother and it was big. So when I tell you that you've got to go through the fire and I tell you that you've got to sometimes have death working in you, we can compare notes. Because and that I've told you the mild version of that story, but I want you to see here that laying down your life, there's a price tag, but it's really not a price at all. I mean, yes, he paid the price, he paid it all, but the price on our side is we have to give up some of our creature comforts and some of our moments of pleasure, but it's not really any big deal because he has made it possible and his grace enables us to endure. So here's the thing. Galatians 5.13, Paul says, By love, serve 
one another. By love, invest your life in one another. And your love of co-workers uh, should be evident and it should produce for one another a sense of belonging. That, that, that you feel included. That you feel like you're a part. Um, that, that, that in fact, you're a vital part. Not just a part, but a vital part. Everybody's needed. See, every part of the body of Christ is absolutely essential. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the body. So because God placed you in the body, you are a vital part of the body. And, and that's why he talks about how one part is not greater than another and, and one part doesn't say they don't need the other. No, that's erroneous. We may, we may think that on the human plane, but that's because we're not experiencing true body life. You ever begin to experience body life, you'll realize the, the value of what God has one to another. Um, Lou is the office manager of Source Ministries. And so she and I have not only a marriage relationship, but a working relationship, and, and it works really well. But she says, you know, it's easy to, to love and respect Lewis because of the way he treats me. And it makes me want to work with him and want to serve him. I want to do things together because I see how he treats me, the way he acts toward me, the way he conducts himself with me, both publicly and privately. And so this, this is what we, we have as brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it be with a spouse or a co-worker, it's the privilege of being God's dispenser of his love, of his life, of his all, one to another. We get to just pour our lives out. Now, that's the way we should all feel, one to another. And if for some reason that's not the case, it can be. And by the grace of God, it will be. So let's, let's pray together and thank the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you that uh, fellowship is a given. When we are in union with Christ, if we will simply rest in you as our life, and let you be yourself in us, that your life will flow out of us, and we'll have fellowship with you that's rich and royal, and we'll find ourselves in that same sweet unity and harmony one with another. Lord, I ask that you would grant us the grace to endeavor to preserve the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace, and to be dispensers of your love, so that through us your life might flow, and we can be channels of your blessing to the body of Christ and to the world in general, so that others might see and say, my, how they love one another. And they would recognize, Lord, that it's our Father at work, for they would see our good works, but glorify our Father in heaven. In Christ's name, amen.